Welcome back to the podcast. Today we had the pleasure of talking with Josh Guter about why everyone should seek a mentor, the importance of validating demand for your business, and using graphic communication effectively. This episode was one of our best ones yet, so make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you enjoy it. All right, welcome to the show, Josh. <laughs> Thank you. Good to have you here on this on this early Friday morning. Um, so, first question, like we're big into entrepreneurship, and I feel like most people like when they first get into entrepreneurship, it's like someone else influences them to get into it. So, like, did you have any people like going through college or like your your early years of like, okay, this dude, I like what this dude's doing. Let me see, let me try to get into it, just like he is doing, or she. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say my most like impactful mentors came right when I was graduating from college. I'll speak about them first, and then I'll touch back into some of the college people. Um, after I'd spent whatever two years building a business in college, I was approaching graduation and was like, I need to make sure that this thing is like scalable and that it can like pay me so I can go full time in this business. And I applied to something we have at NC State called the Amateurs Launch Accelerator, which is like summer long accelerator for startups. Um, and instead of getting in, I got introduced to who is now probably my closest long-term mentor, Tom Colopy. Um, and Tom is like super, super like straightforward with feedback, straightforward with advice. Like he wasn't afraid to immediately undermine the business I've been building for like two years and be like, here's the biggest gaping problem with your entire thing. Um, and I've always liked that type of mentor. Um, and Tom has just been super, super, uh, super, super essential in like everything I've done basically since graduation. He literally mentored me through all six months of customer discovery related to my business, like helped me through the mental crush that is watching your business die. Um, and then he took me under his wing, brought me into Unbiased Insights, which is his startup and allowed me to work with him up until like still today, I still work with him at his company, which is great. Mentored me through like the interview process for getting the shop at NC State, like absolutely essential. And before Tom, back in college, I knew a lot of mentors that were more like life mentors more so than like entrepreneurship mentors so like a guy named brian germano was super amazing um he again very transparent forward thinking mentor who would just tell you things exactly how they were and help with a lot of things so that's kind of vague but hopefully yeah. that was a little bit yeah can mentors we, are important yeah can we dive deeper like into the relationship because i know like when you first like when someone says they have their mentor it's like there's so much like so many steps between like okay you first meet them and then okay I would classify this guy as my mentor. So like, what was that process like? Okay, you're, you're, you first met him, like, were you like, okay, this dude is definitely my mentor? Or like, how did that relationship like mold into him being that guy that you can go to? For sure, for sure. Um, I'll speak about Brian, because it's probably more relatable to your audience, college students. So basically, I was a good night scholar, I was at NC State, and we had these speaker series panels that they would do every month or whatever. And I went to one where the host of it was Brian, and Brian basically was like, you're not allowed to speak to me, we have three professionals from the RDU area that are gonna be at different tables, go speak to these people, and Brian was just like doing a super excellent job at like explaining everything, and the dude is just like a power figure, like when he was speaking, you could feel like there's so much confidence in this person. Um, and I remember I was super disconnected from every table, because the only person in that room that I wanted to speak to was Brian, and my one of the Goodnight staff was like, hey Josh, you're not talking a lot, what's going on? And I'm like, I just want to speak to Brian, but he said we're not allowed to speak to him. Um, so she pulled me aside and like let me step out in the hall, and I got to speak to Brian. Um, and I basically told him like everything that was going on in my life at the time. I had just recently lost a parent, I was going through all this stuff, and I was like, I wanted to figure out how to like become somebody like you, where I can give back, I can like 
speak strongly, like give off confidence, like present things. Like I wanted to be a better speaker. I wanted to be just a better, more powerful feeling human. Um, and he was like, okay, cool. Let's talk. So we set up a time to like, just grab a coffee. He worked at SAS at the time. So drove over to SAS campus, grabbed a coffee with him, just spoke about everything. And genuinely he just gave me like lots of advice and things to do. He told me like a book to read, like designing your life. And he was like, go do these things and let's just talk again in a few weeks once you've done some of those things. And slowly but surely that like just develops into what people call like a mentor relationship. But I think more so a friendship where you recognize one person is just much further along in life than you are. So like you're friends, but you can get advice from one of them. Um, and yeah, I think it just comes from like genuinely seeking advice, taking the advice, practicing the advice and going back to the person and saying, here's what I learned. What do you recommend? And that just kind of naturally develops. That's sort of how that happened. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, have, like taking the initiative to, to approach someone like that. And then if, if they see that, you know, you have that mindset or that you like you're taking steps to, to better yourself, mm -hmm. they'll be so willing to help you. And it, it's obviously it's obvious that that's what happened there. I'm, but I'm also curious because you mentioned you were a good night scholar. Um, were there any specific like resources available through the program other than maybe those speakers that were super beneficial to you? Or if not, like any resources outside of the program that were at state? Yeah, so I'll speak very briefly on the Goodnight Scholars because I know it's a very select group of students. So they have at the very, if you're a freshman in the Goodnight Scholars program, you get paired with what they call like your junior mentor, which is essentially a student who is either a junior or senior at NC State. Um, and I got paired with a guy named Asa Augustine. Um, and that was just like super transformational because essentially you come in as a, what, 18 year old who knows literally nothing and you get paired with a 20 year old who's been doing it for two years. And they teach you about like, hey, here's how you send an email and don't look like a complete idiot. And like, here's how you go meet mentors at an event or like, here's how to compose yourself when you're speaking in front of people. And I think a lot of students don't get that very early. They're kind of left to figure that out themselves. So if you're a good night scholar, making sure to like tap into those mentors is really important because they're like literally given to you. I think the hardest step is finding those first mentors. So if you're not a Goodnight Scholar, we do have programs at the university like NC State Entrepreneurship's Mentor Meetup program, where it's essentially the same sort of matching thing where we bring students into a space and we pair them with long-term mentors that have been helping with all sorts of things in the university and relationships sort of get built from there just based on what students need and what the mentors are trying to give. And furthermore, we have lots of people at the university who do just want to help. So like if you were to send me an email saying you're interested in something like blockchain and you want to speak to somebody who's an industry expert, like my job is literally to be the connector of people. So I would connect you to somebody who is in the industry actually doing work related to that. And from there, a mentor relationship can develop. So there's lots of ways to do it. It's just a matter of taking initiative. Yeah, that's a great point. I feel like and it's so easy like, to take an initiative. And most people don't know that. Like you literally just send a message on LinkedIn and like send it to someone you don't even know and be like, hey, you wanna grab coffee? Or hey, how are you doing? Tell me about this place you work at. And they'll really connect with you just that easily. The bar is so low. I don't think people realize, especially as students, like the super minimum amount of effort that goes into looking like you did a ton of work. So like something I always say is like, do due diligence when you're meeting with people. And that can be like as simple as looking at somebody's LinkedIn. So say you got introduced to a mentor via email and it's like, okay, now you have a coffee. You go look at their LinkedIn and you see 23 years ago, they went to NC State and they studied mechanical engineering. And then you go to the conversation and you say, 
hey person, I saw that you went to NC State too. You also studied mechanical engineering. That's super cool. And then the person's like, oh my God, this person like looked me up. They know what I've done. They know what and like, it's such like a small amount of work that goes so far. So yeah, literally like take those little bits of initiative, like do the little things cause those carry really long. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And speaking of LinkedIn, um, I saw on your LinkedIn, it was like your about, about page. You told a story um, about how, if you picture a house, so I'm going to, I'm going to just leave it that floor and give the floor to you. Could you like explain like, um, what that exactly means to you? And then like, what do you take out of that story? Oh man. I, if you would call it a story, but you could. Yeah, that could, that could be broad. That could be a whole topic in itself. So my background's in graphic communications and I think growing up, I was always interested in how do we communicate ideas? How do we tell people things? And for me, I always liked visuals. So that led me down the road of studying graphic communications at NC State, which is essentially like using technical graphics to communicate complex ideas, using things like SOLIDWORKS to generate a 3D model. So if you're trying to get an engineer to manufacture something, you don't have to be like using words, trying to describe what you want them to build. Like here's a model, here's how it looks. Um, so my LinkedIn bio is essentially an example of that. I think something that interests me is how differently we all think visually. Like if I told you to picture a house, the thing that comes to mind is likely very different than what comes to mind when I try to picture a house. And therefore we have to understand like, how do we communicate those different images accurately? Like how do we help people see what we're seeing versus what they're seeing? Um, and I think graphic communications is a really interesting bridge to gap that. So that's kind of the story behind my LinkedIn. I know like my LinkedIn bio is very weird <laughs> compared to most people's, but I think it gets people thinking. So that's why it's up there. Yeah, for sure it does. I think graphic communications is like a very unique form of communication. I mean, we were talking before we hit play, and talking about how important it is like to, to show a message like digitally now, and it's mm -hmm. just gonna keep getting more and more mainstream as far as digital advertising and digital anything really. Um, so I'm curious, like, what, what made you so attracted to the graphic communication side? Because obviously there's like words like you were talking about. I mean, there's verbal communication. Like, what makes graphic communication different to you, as I guess is what I'm asking. That's a great question. Um, I think it honestly comes from the fact that I grew up playing lots of video games. And that's weird, but like, genuinely, there's something about just, like, the visuals that interested. Like, I know it's like so, like, like, straightforward, but genuinely, like, when I would create stuff for video games that I wanted to make when I was younger. I'd hop in like 3D Studio Max and I'd create the model of a character or something and I'd hit like the render button and I would look at the final result and just be like mind blown by like how realistic things can look and just like genuinely how pretty things can look. Like I would be like doing things as simple as just setting up like a scene that is like literally a room with a single light and like turn off light bouncing, look at the result, then turn on light bouncing and be like, oh my God, this looks so much more realistic because it's how light actually works. and. I was just so like entranced when I was younger by how things looked and just how like a picture speaks a thousand words. Like you can communicate emotion, you can communicate technical ideas, you can communicate so much with like a basic image. And I don't know, it just genuinely interested me. And I think it's, there's not like some key to like knowing why it interested me, but I think recognizing that it interested me was what was important. Like, okay, there's a reason in my engineering classes I spent more time doing the renders of the technical thing than I did doing the static equations to calculate how the bridge performed, right? Like, I liked the graphic side of it. So just dug into that super hard. And I don't know. I know it's kind of weird. It just kind of naturally was something I was interested in. I don't think there was ever, like, a key moment where I was like, boom, I want to do graphics now. It's, uh, it's funny you say that because I'm probably the exact opposite. I took, uh, I took SolidWorks sophomore year. And I, I hated it. <laughs> yeah. I, it was pretty cool modeling the things, but the, the worst part for me was having to do the technical drawings. It was just, I could, I could never enjoy it. Um, but I guess 
maybe like outside of maybe the engineering aspect where say uh, a mechanical engineer has to make a, a graphic drawing of uh, some some part or something like outside of that what would you say are some other areas where graphic communication is super essential and might not be used as much as it should be yeah i got a really good one for you guys especially because it's entrepreneurship related so we live in a time right now where we have software available that allows us to essentially create photorealistic mock-ups of essentially anything we want to create um at a really easy level we can also create mock-ups of like apps that don't exist yet using programs like Adobe Illustrator to just make mock-up screenshots. Um, and I think an area where that's becoming more and more prevalent is in testing for demand for products in startups. So for instance, never far away, when we started, we were doing these wearable devices that located hikers in remote areas. But our very last pivot was essentially into a platform that would allow hikers to get information from rangers when they were at specific points in the park. And what we've learned our first time through business was spending two years building the solution before testing for demand is the wrong thing to do. So instead, what is the minimum viable way to test for demand? And instead of building the entire app, I can hop in Adobe Illustrator, create mockups of what I think the app would look like, plaster those onto a 3D model of an iPhone, render it out and throw it up onto a landing page. And at the bottom of that landing page have a wait list. And if somebody visits this landing page and they see something and they're like, oh, Visually, that looks like an app that I would use. I want to click those buttons. I want to see what this app does. I'm going to sign up for the waitlist. You can test demand without even writing a single line of code because you can use graphics to communicate these types of ideas. And that ranges from apps all the way to like hardware products. Like Spotify did a thing with their. Do you guys know what Spotify car thing is? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, literally when they began, they had a landing page that was literally just renders of this thing essentially. And they sent out a few really, really rough prototypes to a few influencers and they drove a ton of people to this landing page that showed all these features of a product that they hadn't finished. And they were able to see, are people going to pay for this judging on how many people sign up for this waitlist? And that was an example of using graphic communications to communicate an idea of something that wasn't quite finished to see whether or not people actually wanted the thing before they even spent the money and engineering time to build it. So I think that's like, one of the coolest current applications of graphic communications is using it to test demand for things that don't exist yet. That's a, that's a great point. I really never thought about it that deep. Like you can really just literally create anything online and like it could even be a physical product. It doesn't even have to be an app and like you could, you could literally make a 3D model of it where they can like turn it around in every direction and you could actually see if someone might like it or not. I don't take any risk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, like, look at what we see on Amazon. It's just photos of products. You don't know whether or not that's a photo or, like, a realistic render. We have no clue. Like, if I modeled that microphone that's sitting in front of us, like, one-to-one -one in Blender, pumped out a few photorealistic models, threw it on Amazon, and said it was 50 bucks, but you had to get on the wait list to order, I would know who's going to get on that wait list because that's all they're using to order these products anyway. It's a little bit different if you're trying to get something like in somebody's physical hands, obviously, but with everybody switching to e-commerce instead of brick and mortar shopping, it's like a really good technique right yeah. now. So. so what are some like, uh, some, obviously you touched on Adobe. Adobe is a great all around thing for anything digital, but what are some like things if, if like I'm listening right now and I'm like, oh, I have this idea, maybe whether it be an app, I guess you could choose what you think. Like what's a good beginner place to start for someone that's trying to just like get a rough draft of something they, they might want to put out to the public. I think it depends on how much they want to do themselves. It's really easy to outsource work nowadays to go to Fiverr and spend $10 to get a realistic render of a product. Um, but if you're trying as an individual to do all of it yourself, you really want to learn like how to create the models yourself. Blender is good for 3D stuff. And then 
I think the Creative Cloud is a really good starting point for all of your 2D stuff from Photoshop all the way to Illustrator. There are just so many YouTube tutorials, and this is even more general than graphic communications. Like if there's anything you're trying to just get started with an entrepreneurship, like there's so much free content online available right now. Like if you want to learn to write Python, you can find infinite tutorials online. If you want to learn how to model something in Blender, there are hours on hours on hours of tutorials available online. Like you can sort of figure it all out. So I would say start with like Creative Cloud, start with Blender, use those two things in combination to create basic renders of products is a good starting point. But my like even further advice would be find somebody in graphic communications and have them help you with it too. Because, you know, if somebody can do it in an hour, what would take you nine? Save time, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one thing we've brought up over and over again on, on the podcast is just how easy it is to learn something that, you know, used to not be available to you and is now over like all sorts of different platforms. Um, but you, you mentioned, you mentioned the mock-ups and I thought you were going to take a different way and it kind of put me on a little tangent. Uh, recently they started making like AI generated podcasts and the, podcasts, yeah. So it's like some random person will be like Joe Rogan speaks about random topic and it's totally AI generated and it's just so cool to me. And I thought that's the way you're going to take that, but then you took it a different way. I just had to get that on my Look, AI is like totally going to be really impressive too. Like I think obviously I didn't know about the AI podcast stuff, but I do know a lot about AI generating images and videos right now. Like I think that's like the dolly or whatever was something that everybody knew a lot about. I think when it comes to like idea generation, AI is going to be insane. Like generate me a product that does this and see what AI like strips together from everything that's ever been made before. AI is going to be cool. So I'm happy you interjected that. It's really going to be powerful. <laughs> yeah. Forward. I was also listening to uh, the All In podcast with four great minds, mm -hmm. the genius people. And they were talking about a prediction. I, I forget who it was exactly. I think they were all in agreement here. And it's like the movies that we make like 20, 30 years from now aren't even going to be, have to be acted out because our, our technology is going to be so strong. We're going to be able to replicate like your human look. So we'll literally be able to speak to a phone and be like, I want to get Sally to jump over a moon and whatever, just do a stupid story. And the movie will literally put it all out and all you have to do is narrate it. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think I listened to the same podcast and I think that was one of the coolest I've ever heard is how we're going to be shifting from doing all the minute work of actually creating the renders, all that stuff, purely to the narration and the storytelling side of things. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's it going to be so awesome. I can't wait for it, man. Yeah. It, it, it creates like creativity for anyone that like doesn't have the resources. If, if you can pay for the AI subscription or whatever they charge, like a subscription per month for the software, then all you have to do is think of an idea, speak it to the software, and post it online. Like yeah. it's that it's, it's going to be that simple. Artists are panicking, man. You should see some of the visual work that's coming out. Like there's an account that I followed because they do a lot of Blender artwork, and then they started posting these renders. I'm like, these are gorgeous, and I'm like reading the descriptions, like generated by Dolly, and I'm like. What? I'm like, wait, so this artwork that I totally thought somebody spent hours on was generated in like two minutes by this AI. I'm like, oh my God. It's scary, but I think it's going to be really powerful. I yeah. agree. Yeah, generative art is crazy, um, especially like how it's all getting into like NFTs and all that. I could. Anyways, um, so I guess like graphic communication, at least when I first um, saw that, that's what you majored in. What I immediately think of is like, like, a, like a 3D model of something. but. Maybe when you're like giving a presentation, a lot of times people will like throw up a slide and it's just paragraphs of words, right? Um, I'm curious, like maybe you have a lot of experience giving presentations. What are like some of the best ways to implement some things you learn through graphic communication into like giving a presentation? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole topic too. Um, there's a saying that says people will read what you write or listen to what you say, but never both. And I think 
it is so painful when people give presentations to me where it's just like a wall of words. And I think the point of graphic communications is it communicates a lot of information very quickly. Like I can look at his sweater right now and see that he's got a compass on it. It's got like kind of your lifeguardy type font. My assumption is it's probably water related. The dude likes to spend time outdoors. Like there's all this stuff that I can conclude from just looking at a simple graphic on a t-shirt. And the same thing can be said about presentations. Like I can't obviously pull up a presentation right now. I don't have my computer, but all of my presentations typically are maybe two to three words on a title slide. And that's some sort of visual that's going to complement whatever I am saying. Like if I'm introducing a team at Andrew's Launch Accelerator's demo day and I'm speaking about say, Denali, which is using like DNA for data storage. I'm not going to have a slide that says Denali Data Technologies is a DNA storage based company. I'm going to have a photo of like a DNA tube or something and I'm going to speak about the fact that what they're doing is this. And like that's just intuitive to me, but I think essentially the less words you can use to communicate the same idea, the better because then people are focusing on you as a speaker, the message that you have to share. And the visuals should be just that, visuals that complement what you're trying to tell. Um, yeah, yeah that's, a that's a great point. I feel like most people just get caught up in words on a slide. And like even, even if I'm in class and it's like, okay, teacher throws seven bullet points up on a slide and they're talking about the bullet points at the same time, you're getting two different like, sources of information and it's hard for you to really like focus on one and get all the bullet points or focus on the teacher and get all what she's saying or he's saying. Because it's really two different things. Like if, if you express something verbally and then express something in a PowerPoint, it, you're going to get two different sides out of out of what you're trying to learn from. Exactly. And I think it's like a matter of walking people through it too. Like when people are actually engaged in what you are saying and what you are telling them, they are following you from point A to point B to point C. Like right now I'm in my point A of what I'm saying here and then point B will be something else and eventually I'm going to ideally have brought you through this entire journey of thought and at the end of it be like, and this is the point. And then you're like, oh my God, that's awesome. And I remember that. But if during that journey, you're doing what you're speaking about, which is jumping from, okay, he's speaking about point A, but okay, he's slowly gonna fade into the background as I'm reading the slide, trying to figure out what's on the slide. I'm gonna jump back in. I was at point C and I'm confused. Your storytelling just falls apart. Like you have to really be able to control where people's minds are at when you're trying to teach something. And I think, again, that's just another reason that we should rely heavily on visuals as visuals and not as words of, you know, just tons and tons of words. And right. Yeah, we can speak like for yeah. hours and presentation techniques, but that's the general, it's just so like less what, words. What I'm getting words. out of it in a very, very concise way from what you just said is basically like simplify everything and like maybe have some graphic that complements what you're saying, but keep the main gist of your lecture or presentation out of your voice. Is that, is that? Yeah, literally, yeah, tell the story. Don't make them read the story. There's another saying in uh, show and like theater that is show, don't tell. Um, definitely better to just allow people to sort of explore what you're explaining to them and not have a giant wall of words trying to guide them through every single thought that they're having. People need to explore things. That's where questions come from. You know, that's where extra thoughts come from. It's, it's important. Yeah, that's super insightful to hear. I, I know, at least in the past, a lot of the presentations I've done, I just, I end up putting, like, I don't put paragraphs, but I put bullets of what I'm saying. And it, to me, at least, looking back on it, it's probably just an easy way of um, making it easier on myself because if I have the bullets of what I'm going to say, I can just look at the slide and then say it opposed to being prepared. Um, if it's like a graphic on the screen, then you actually have to like know what you're going to say, know where it's going to lead and things like that. But you've mentioned um, Never Far Away, which was the company you founded um, a couple times. I guess what was like at least a lot of times when um, people start a business or a company, um, one of the things I like to hear is like what problem they were trying to solve or like what inspired them to start it. So what was what was the problem you were trying to solve with um, Never Far Away? 
Okay, so when Never Far Away started, the problem we were initially trying to solve was drownings on the East Coast. I grew up jumping between Newburgh, North Carolina and Duck, North Carolina, and Duck's out on the Outer Banks near the Kitty Hawk and stuff. And a lot of those beaches are private and lifeguards go up and down those beaches on a dune buggy and they're not constantly patrolling certain areas. So one day I was like sitting in our beach house, like after work or something, and my grandma was watching the TV and complaining about how there were so many drownings that kept happening. And she was like, what if we could strap like a wearable device to swimmers that would release a big balloon when they're in trouble so lifeguards could spot them on the dune buggies? Um, and at the time, I was really trying to get involved in entrepreneurship because the year prior, I had lost a parent. I had been going through all this like self rediscovery, and I had sort of made the conscious decision that I wanted to go out, start my own thing, be my own boss, do whatever I could to do that. So those two things kind of locked into where it's like, okay, this is the thing that's going to let me do that. Um, who needs lights anyways? Uh, so essentially, ended up looking at like, okay, how could we possibly solve that problem? Um, ended up building wearable devices essentially that we thought like a swimmer could wear a device, send a signal to like some node on the boardwalk and the signal could get bounced from boardwalk to boardwalk to boardwalk all the way to a lifeguard. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of Never Far Away. So I can tell more about what happened with that because obviously it's not where we ended, but yeah, um, that yeah. was the start. I'd love to dive deeper into that. But also I wanted to touch on like something, it, it, like just from this conversation, it sounds like you're very like passionate about graphic communications. But like you started a business that wasn't really strong on graphic communications, which I think is like the beauty in entrepreneurship and starting businesses. So like you literally just, you found, you, you found something you were passionate about, swimming, outdoors. Obviously people drowning is not good for, for anyone. And you turn that into a, at least you tried to turn it into a business and working cash flow, which is, I think is a great like plus of entrepreneurship out there. Like if you if you have a passion, it doesn't have to be something that you're, you're, you're like gonna put your whole heart into. It could just be something like, oh, I, I like swimming and maybe I could turn something in swimming and find a problem in swimming and turn that into a whole business. So I think that was awesome. That, that's what you Exactly. Doing. And I think there's definitely like something to be said about alignment between the problems you're trying to solve and your passions and stuff. And it's not mentioned a lot in this podcast, but I was very much like a nerd before I went into directly graphic communications. I started in aerospace engineering. I was in there for two years until again, I basically went through like a life changing event. Um, so I loved like coding and I loved hardware and I loved how do you build things and make technology work. So it was kind of the perfect storm for like, okay, the wearable device sending signals down the beach allows me to learn about programming mesh networking technology. And like, to me, that was really interesting at the time. So like, it was like kind of unrelated, but also like the skills that I enjoyed doing were required to do what I wanted to do. So it was like, it all just kind of worked out, but yeah, aligning passions with what you're wanting to do in entrepreneurship is important. And sometimes those passions aren't necessarily what you're studying or formally doing in a full nine to five job. Yeah, I think that's super valuable. And, and like Kyle said, even if it's not like completely aligned with your passions, your passion could be to help other people. And obviously with, with Never Far Away, you were trying to help other people and prevent drownings. Um, so I think like that all plays into itself as well. Um, but I guess, so there was a point where you had the idea, right? You wanted to, to create the, the transmitter to, to help people from, to help people stop from drowning. Um, so like, what were the steps where you, you created the idea and you tried to turn it into a working model? Like what were some of the challenges in that process? Yeah. So my journey through entrepreneurship was not done correctly. So everything at the beginning I did wrong, essentially is the best way to put it. So the path that I went on was, okay, we have this idea 
of getting swimmers connected using some sort of technology. Now, how do we go build that technology? And that was the first mistake. And it's easy to like overlook what the mistake was there, but we went from an assumption, which was swimmers are swimming, they're having difficulty getting out of water, and the solution is some sort of wearable device to get them located. That was a fucking massive assumption. Um, and then we said, let's go build this thing. How do we build this thing? And I basically spent like a summer trying to build this device. I learned all about LoRaWAN, learned all about like mesh networking, figured out how to build the technology, was speaking to engineers on the West Coast about the types of software and hardware that I have to write and create. Um, and we ended up figuring out like how to build the thing. And then right at the end of that summer, we went to the lifeguards and we we're like, hey, we figured out that we could build this thing. How much would you pay for this? And they were all like, we wouldn't pay for that. That's not going to solve our problems. And I was like, what do you mean? I spent like the whole summer building this thing. And they were like, the problem is when people are swimming these beaches and they start drowning, it takes on average like 67 seconds before the moment of panic begins to the moment that they go under for good. And that's not enough time, even if you get an instant signal from a swimmer to a lifeguard. If the lifeguard's three miles down the beach, or even worse, at the fire station inland, there's just not enough time to get out onto the beach to wherever the, life, the swimmer is and locate them. Um, so right there, we should have said, oh, we tried to build a product for the wrong problem. Let's figure out what the problem is that we could solve and start a new business. But instead, we said... We built this like technology, which was a, essentially a way to linearly bounce signals down a beach. If we scale that to another dimension, we can bounce signals through remote areas. Let's use these wearable devices to locate hikers in a remote area, state and national parks. And again, the assumption existed that hikers were going missing, that the solution was locating them. And we can move into the next chapter, but I just want to, like that's sort of where the beginning was. That's how we figured out whether or not it was feasible, but um, again, we kind of did it the wrong way. So did you did you produce after you went through the um, the swimming and the drowning solution attempt? Did you did you propose the hiking um, solution to someone else like you did with the lifeguards or how did that process work out? So essentially we were still caught in the trap of we thought we needed to build the technology before we could bring it to somebody and say would you use this thing and We're sitting right now in the entrepreneurship garage, which I think is an excellent resource, but the mentors and the people that are very involved in the garage know how to build things and they will teach you how to build things. The entrepreneurship clinic that I manage now is different in the sense that we teach entrepreneurs to validate ideas and how to make sure that the opportunities they're interested in actually have merit. And I didn't get exposure to the clinic at all during college. So when I said, what are my next steps? I came to the garage and I started asking people, how do I build this mesh network to locate hikers in remote areas? And then I spent basically my junior and senior year building these mesh networks because I thought the only way I could sell this is if I actually had it working. Um, so no, I didn't actually go and like validate whether or not this was a problem that needed to be solved. I spent two years building it and that all culminated in me applying to the Entrance Launch Accelerator. We had the software working, we had the hardware working, we had patents pending, like everything was in place for us to go sell this thing sent all of that information, the whole story to Tom Colopy, who replied with, why aren't you just renting satellite phones instead? And we were like, oh my God, you're right. Why aren't we just renting satellite phones? He was like, what problem are you solving? And we were like, I guess we're solving remote connectivity in national state parks. He was like, so why don't you just rent phones? 
And again, we didn't really have a good answer to that. And there was a time where I considered just deleting the email and like chugging forward, but I was like, no, there's a reason this is like challenging my core. Dug really hard into that. And he was like, just go to a park like this weekend. You could have done this like two years ago. Just go to a park with a book bag on, tell every hiker you walk past that you have satellite phones in your bag and for $5, they can rent one and see if anybody wants to rent. As you know now, we found out that they didn't want to rent. Um, and over basically six months, we very rapidly found out there was no need for what we had built. Again, hikers weren't concerned about safety. And the biggest problem for rangers wasn't locating the hikers. It was getting educational information to them. So that was the way like long-winded based on what you would ask me. But that was kind of what happened from, you know, the water safety stuff to the next pivot to what we finally learned at the end. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's clear that um, he was really blunt, right? When when he he didn't like say like, oh, like maybe this will work out. I'm not so sure. He pretty much said this this is the problem that you're not solving with what you made, and I think that's so important to have in, in a in a partner or a, or a mentor. Um, but so obviously, you said you were doing this like junior senior year. You were putting all this time into this, and I, I love to hear like what sort of productivity habits or like how did you manage your time doing all these things at once. Badly. Um, okay, so badly. I also, I don't know what the hell I was doing in college. All right, I was so I was working two jobs, starting the company, and doing all of my classes while I was in college, which was not healthy. Um, I was like very much a victim of like the grind set culture of like wake up at four in the morning and work until eleven o'clock at night and repeat every single day. And if you're not up that early, you're like a failure to society. Like. I fell super hard down that rabbit hole. So I literally was, I was up at like five in the morning, four 30 in the morning, every single day, like working out, reading emails, doing all this stuff. Like, and I would basically just like work, 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 work until eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And then just go to bed and repeat. And like, it sounds idealized right now through like social media, but that is so terribly unhealthy for your mental health. Like it's unbelievable. Like, I was just getting like more and more depressed week by week. Like I was like losing friends. I was like way too in like the hustle mindset. And I think that was because I was doing the wrong thing. I was so focused on building this technology. It doesn't take as much time. It takes time and effort, but not as much of a grind to like validate. So the answer to your question is I did it poorly. I basically just like completely demolished myself. Looking back, the more appropriate thing would have been to like really just look at all of my commitments and delegate using Google Calendar. Like from eight to 10, I'm gonna do two hours of really focused work on Ever Far Away and then I'll go to my classes and from six to eight, I'll do really focused work on this. And before 8 p.m. and before 8 a.m., I need to be able to just take care of myself, read, you know, make sure that my mental health is good, um, things like that. So that's kind of how it was done and how I would recommend not doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you touched a lot on like the personal side of that. Like, okay, you gotta make sure you're, you're healthy in order to make a business that's healthy. So I'm curious, like, obviously you, you make those adjustments, take care of your personal life and like your personal health. But like, if you were, if you were to restart never far away again, and like, would you ta try to tackle the same problem a different way? Or do you think that it, like you, you just wouldn't have done it in the first place? Like where, where would you have taken that if you had to, had to restart it? If I had to start it, like as, as if nothing ever happened, like you're starting again today. Okay. I have this idea. What, what are you doing now? So, I mean, that almost runs into literally what I am doing now. So okay. I would start with validation. So I'm still building things on the side. I'm still trying to figure out what the next startup is going to be. I do not intend to be program manager for much more than a year or two. Um, 
so right now, like the steps that we're taking in the next thing, essentially kind of restarting, we believe that there's a problem where lots of young entrepreneurs and serial entrepreneurs want things to build, want businesses to create, but don't know what problems need to be solved and don't have a way to easily validate demand for those problems. The quickest way to find a solvable problem is go work in industry for three to four years, find the issues that exist, start a startup, solve that problem, be successful. Um, lots of serial entrepreneurs don't want to dedicate three to four years of their lives to industry just to start a startup. So our belief is maybe entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, repeat entrepreneurs would be interested in some sort of source for problems that are already validated. We go out, we do the customer discovery interviews, we find the problems that exist in B2B solutions that are required for people to be successful. And we report all those to serial entrepreneurs, people who are trying to start their businesses in either like a newsletter or some sort of exclusive subscription. So the wrong thing to do would be, okay, that's what we're gonna build. Let's start the newsletter, let's go get interviews. Instead, what we're doing right now is like really minimum viable demand testing. So we're throwing up landing pages that are like, sign up for the hustle newsletter that gives you a weekly digest of problems that are happening in the B2B SaaS space. Or da da da, we're sending these like landing pages that just tease what we think we might build out to serial entrepreneurs, people on our network, and we're seeing what are people responding to, what are people not interested in, we're using that to guide what we're building. So to answer your question, what we would do if I restarted and was starting something new, it would be exactly this of like super minimum viable testing for demand, see what are people responding to, what aren't people responding to, and get validation that people will pay for what I want to build before I even think about actually building anything. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Is, is this already live? Like, do you have a newsletter that you're putting out or is this kind of in the making here? So again, it's kind of in the making. There's multiple landing pages. Like right now, I think it's ideate.card with two Ds.io will take you to like our dummy landing page right now that is literally like the idea project. And if you sign up for it, you get like a weekly like report on problems that exist in the industry. There's no weekly report. We don't have any problems. <laughs> like none of it exists yet, but from somebody on the outside, it looks like it does. And if we get you know, 30 people to sign up for this thing, then okay, maybe we could merits creating the first edition of this newsletter and now we start doing some of the legwork. But that's just one example. There's like four or five different iterations focusing on different personas that we're all testing like simultaneously. So again, there's no clear direction yet, but that's because we have a general assumption as to what the problems are we're seeing, what people actually have. So is this the same as uh, Unbiased Insights? Is that the same idea or is that something different? So Unbiased Insights okay. is a totally separate okay, okay. company from this. It is interesting because Unbiased is sort of in the same area. Unbiased is in basically the like market of teaching people to do proper validation and Unbiased Insights has a tool that essentially gives founders the framework to follow to validate that their ideas are necessary and have traction. Um, so a lot of the things that Unbiased teaches people to do is what we're using to provide the problems to different industries. It all goes hand in hand. Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a reason we're doing that. Like, again, like I said, go out in the industry, work for a few years, find problems that need to be solved. Like, my industry has been early venture startups, people who are trying to launch companies that are trying to figure out what, whether or not there's traction. And I've seen repeatedly the problem of people not knowing whether or not their idea has any merit. And now we're testing, do people want to pay to solve that problem? Um, and that's sort of the route that we're taking right now.
Well, I'll tell you, from what I've heard so far, I, I like the idea and I, I'll hopefully sign up for the newsletter when it drops. So I'll be sure to, we'll be sure to exchange that when it does drop. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> so you got, you got at least one demand right there. Exactly. Well, <laughs> look, you say that, we dig into that too. You said that you'd hopefully do it, right? It's very speculative. I think there's a very big difference between I would like to use your product versus here are my credit card details, I'm gonna pay for it. And that's a huge thing that founders fall into is all these like fallacies that we believe somebody has demand for this thing because they said they were interested in the idea. Like, okay, but have they ever actually, like say I'm starting a new like umbrella company and I go to somebody and I wanna sell them an umbrella or something. And I ask them, hey, would you use my really cool umbrella? It does all these things. And they're like, yeah, I would use that okay, well, here's the umbrella, and then they don't want to buy it. And it's like, okay, well, you said you would, but they're like, yeah, it's a little pricey or whatever. Like, they back out of the purchase. And instead of I'd ask, hey, have you ever purchased an umbrella that does X? No, I've never purchased that. Have you ever looked for an umbrella that does X? No, I've never looked for an umbrella that does X. So why the hell am I going to try to sell you an umbrella that does X? It's not going to work, right? You have to study people's past behavior. Look, are you currently signed up on any newsletter that reports market trends? Um, yeah, market trends, yeah. Okay, yeah. so there's a chance. But it doesn't sound like anything that what you're providing. Yeah. Like the, the problem, like that's something different, I think, that I haven't personally seen in any of the newsletters that I'm subscribed to. Yeah, but even there, like you at least have past behavior of signing up for newsletters related to market trends. So that gets you closer in my mind to somebody who would actually sign up for this thing than if I had asked you that and you said, no, I've never signed up for a newsletter before. Okay, so why are you suddenly going to change and pay for my newsletter? Like. It's easy to assume that like your interest means you would buy it, but if your past behavior is showing a totally different story, then you got to kind of consider that. That's a great point. Yeah, these are all like questions that I never would have thought to ask. Like, so when later on, hopefully someone who's listening is starting a business, they'll have all these tools to really evaluate. Is my product, is it going to have the demand? Is, it, is the demand going to be able to translate to um, the purchase of the product and things like that? But... I'm curious, so the entrepreneurship clinic, you mentioned like, for example, the newsletter, it's kind of directed towards serial entrepreneurs. And when I hear that, I automatically think um, like like an older, like uh, someone that's not in school, right? Mm -hmm. Is this, is there anything specifically for like students or is it more of just like entrepreneurs in the area? Yeah, so the newsletter that I'm starting is completely separate from the entrepreneurship clinic. I'm building things on the side because again, I want to do my own startup. The entrepreneurship clinic does have a newsletter that is literally geared for students and basically, Every week we send out, or by we, I mean I, literally like put together three or four articles that are related to things that we've been working on in the clinic, send updates about what's going on in the clinic, give opportunities to get engaged and stuff. Um, and getting into that newsletter is like super easy. You just go to our website and sign up to be a member. Um, and our website is just entrepreneurshipclinic.ncsu.edu. So going there, going to the membership page, applying to that gets you on our newsletter and then we'll send you all sorts of opportunities, events, things like that. So that's sort of the plug for students. It's a beautiful thing, really. I, when I first found this, like I think it was like my sophomore year because obviously COVID messed up everything, like all the networking and stuff our freshman year. But when I found this, like this is a beautiful place. And I'm curious, do you know if there's any other schools like doing the same like type of thing or is it all linked together or what? There are different schools who do similar things. Um, but it's not like super, super linked together. One of the parts of my job is to help create those linkages. So like next week I'm getting a coffee with the person who's running a similar program at like Duke University and trying to be more interconnected between colleges on these sorts of programs is a goal. Um, a good example of like learning about different schools that do it, if you go to like USASB, which is a giant conference that happens every year, it's all about entrepreneurship education. 
Um, there's lots of schools who are doing different things like this, but the entrepreneurship clinic specifically, because we've obviously got the garage and then the clinic is kind of separate from the garage. Like they're two similar, but separated things. Um, the clinic was started by Lewis Sheets a few years ago, back in 2015, I think. And like, apparently it was like pretty new. Like it was one of the very first times this whole clinical model of teaching entrepreneurship where repair student teams with actual startups had ever been done. So there are other schools doing it. It's still very early, this very big focus on entrepreneurship and getting younger people into the doors of, you know, the areas pretty new. Right. I'm curious, someone, we were in here earlier in the, for another podcast and someone said that there's the How It Works, like founder involved here. Do yeah. You know uh, yeah. You know, Marshall Brain, have you heard his name? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Marshall Brain. I don't think he was how it works. I think he was, it's called How Stuff Works. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, it was one of those. It was on the Discovery Channel, whichever one it was. Um, and that's really cool. Yeah, Marshall Brain just now is a professor, super cool dude. Like, we have so many cool people in the network. People that have been Shark Tank, people that have started like really massive things like How Stuff yeah. Works. Like, it's, it's really neat, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned like, um, how you're starting to try, you're trying to like make that linkage between different universities that have programs similar to this. And I think that would be so beneficial because one of the, one of the main um, goals of like the garage or the clinic or b both is to like network with other people. And one of the easiest ways to expand your network would be to, to like link with other universities. So I think that would just, that'd be a crazy direction to take that. Absolutely, absolutely. But hopefully your your venture succeeds more than this this entrepreneurship. Well, I don't I mean, the, like the clinic is really interesting, but it's not necessarily like business I guess like technically you could turn it into a business but the value proposition of the entrepreneurship clinic is students do work for startups and the thing is startups don't have a ton of money to pay for that type of thing so unless you're able to land really large sponsorships it's hard to like scale the clinic without funding from like a university um, so like a startup ideally would be more successful than the clinic monetarily but I think the impact that the clinic makes is insane and absolutely immeasurable like students walk out of that you know, space with just such a deep understanding of business and entrepreneurship and the real world experience. It's like, again, just not even nearly valued by money. So I think it's yeah. it is it is awesome. But also, as not outside of entrepreneurship clinic and networking, do you have any like books or like uh, YouTube videos or podcasts or anything you want to hand off to the audience and like you re highly recommended that change your perspective on life in general or or in business specifically? You already plugged it, but the All In podcast is super cool. I love them. Um, I think how I built this with Guy Raz, really good. Are we good on time? Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. Yeah, how I built this with Guy Raz, really, really cool. Do you know that yeah. podcast? Yeah, that one's super solid. I love the episode with um, Starbucks, like learning all about how that got started. It was super cool. Uh, books, really like Designing Your Life if you're a college student trying to figure out what the hell you want to do with your life. Um, and then for founders who are starting things, The Intelligence Trap is a really good book that sort of speaks all about like the fallacies that we fall for, the things that we're gonna do to basically make ourselves believe things that aren't true and being aware of all of that stuff helps you avoid the whole, my mom said it's a good idea and I'm gonna spend three years and $250,000 on this idea um, and catching yourself in those traps and really knowing like, okay, I've proven that this thing is true and it's not just me making myself believe that it is true, so. Um, those are a few recommendations. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, we'll we'll put those in the link below. But um, two things as we wrap up. One, um, maybe like some links or some places where our listeners can find you if they want to reach out to you or check out what you're doing. And then um, two, we end each of our episodes with a question. 
and it is what is one goal that you have in your career or personal life and what steps are you taking to achieve it? Cool. Um, okay, so first, before I even plug links related to me and that question, I forgot two really important books, Talking to Humans and Experimenting with Humans. They're both like 45-minute reads, super short books, speaks all about demand validation, testing, making sure that people actually want what you want or what you want to build before you build it. Nonetheless, where you can find me, um, LinkedIn, just search my name in LinkedIn, it'll usually come up. Um, joshgooter.art on Instagram is where I put all of my graphic communications related artwork. Uh, and that's basically it for now and where you can find me. But And then what am I working on? What's the goal? I want to build something that I can take full time that actually has like revenue and paying customers and stuff. And I want to do that soon. So the steps that I'm taking towards that we already sort of spoke about doing lots of demand validation, lots of testing, figuring out what problem do people actually want to pay to have solved right now and how can I best position myself to solve that problem. So just doing entrepreneurship the right way this time around is something that I'm really focused on doing and I think have fortunately been having a good time at doing as well. So that's kind of that. That's awesome, man. Well, we really appreciate your time and all your insights, man. I definitely learned a lot through this episode myself. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, thank you all for having me. This is great. And keep like doing these things. This is really cool. It's awesome to see students doing more than just the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank you, man.